For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Let's go. Welcome to Citizen. Today we've got a very special guest, co-founder and CEO of Fume, who's a sponsor of ours, by the way, Fume. It's a nice smoking cessation tool. Uh, Braden Pauls, how's it going? Doing good. Did I say your name right, Braden Pauls? Yeah, you did. You nailed it. What kind of Spelling name? Spelling it's usually the hard part. Well, it's because <laughs> it's got that extra E in there, but... Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, technically... That probably is a more appropriate spelling than just B R A D E N, right? I mean, yeah, that's what my parents thought back mm-hmm. in the early '90s. Wow. But um, so, let's get into it. Um, you, you've you've taken um, a pretty novel approach to smoking cessation. Um, it was a big deal in the military back in the day, in the 2010 air, uh, p- time period. <clears throat> For whatever reason. Um, a lot of resources are being spent at the government level to help government employees, whether they were in the military or, you know, worked at the federal level, um, to stop smoking. Uh, there were pills, I think Shantix or something like that was one of them. Um, which, you know, I don't, I don't really, for a lot of obvious reasons, don't really trust the pharmaceutical industry because of all the information that's come out lately about SSRIs and all this stuff. But, um, then they, you know, there's other types of methods and a lot of companies have popped up that use uh, tobacco less nicotine or something else. Uh, but this is the first one I've seen where it's, there's no chemical at all, right? So yeah. tell me a little bit about the company and why you started it. Yeah, so I was actually in college and I was studying psychology. I was on my way to becoming a psychologist and an addiction counselor. Um, and on that journey, I got, I came across Fume, and I guess for, we saw there's a massive gap in the market where um, most people view addiction as being very much a physiological thing, mm-hmm. as in it's a dependence on nicotine, and you know, from it, and like you know, pharmaceuticals are the way to deal with it. But if you look at it, psychology, in my opinion, is way more powerful than your physiology most of the time. Um, if you in the studies of addiction, typically the um, roots that take um, take into account the psychology of how to quit something are usually much more successful than just focusing on just purely the physiological approach. And especially with smoking cessation, where it's such a repetitive habit-based um, addiction, it was very surprising to me that there wasn't solutions out there that were utilizing behavioral science in order to help people quit rather than just focusing on, like you said, pharmaceutical, pharmaceuticals such as Shantix. Um, so it's like, that's where we saw a massive gap in the market. And 
we see that it's a really exciting way to be able to serve people to help them overcome that addiction where it's like rather than you having to completely give up your habit in regards to smoking why don't you just switch to something that's not harmful or that is harm harmless right mm. like that you don't have to be negatively affecting your health but you don't have to worry about replacing that hand-to-mouth habit and and everything and we've already helped thousands of smokers out there in quitting and our goal is to be, get to the millions number so sure. that's that's what we're working on right now but yeah really exciting and and that would be our approach so far this episode is brought to you by blackriflecoffee.com join the black rifle coffee club and get fresh roasted freedom delivered straight to your door black rifle coffee company as you know is a veteran owned and operated company that supports america's military law enforcement and first responders get the best coffee in the world get your premium coffee delivered every month choose your favorite roast whether you want whole bean ground or coffee rounds that work in the Keurig machine and your delivery schedule, which I believe they have 7, 14, 21, 30 days and a couple of other options uh, as well. And in addition to that, this is the best deal you're going to get. In addition to the ease of the coffee club, you're also going to get free shipping on all your orders. You're going to get access uh, to exclusive partner discounts. You're going to get 20% off your first order using the code CITIZEN. Go to BlackRifleCoffee.com. Next up, GhostBed. We all know GhostBed. They have the best deals in the world on the best beds in the world. Right now, GhostBed is offering 40% off GhostBed bundles where you get a mattress and an adjustable base for everything else. 30% off. Use the code DRINKITBROS at GhostBed.com forward slash DRINKITBROS. You can get a mattress and an adjustable base and everything else you add to that order. That's going to be 40% off. And then, you know, with all these great deals, whether it's the 40% off bundle deal or the general 30% off deal, you can utilize the zero down 0% financing plan for up to 60 months. That's five years, which will reduce your monthly cost to somewhere between like 25 and $45 a month, somewhere in there, depending on what all you get. So go get those deals. You know, to bed, to 30 of your life, eight hours a day, spend the money. Uh, go to ghostbed.com forward slash drinker bros for that. Next up, Simply Safe. This is the easiest, easiest home security system you are ever going to use. Uh, there's a lot of systems out there. This is the one that I prefer. Here's a question Is there anything that matters more than the safety of you and your loved ones? Of course not. So isn't it strange then that many home security companies don't behave that way? This is why we use and trust Simply Safe Home Security. Their advanced security technology helps us sleep at night. They also put us uh, and our family's safety first. Here's why I love it. Super easy. You can set this entire system up in 10 to, to 15 minutes, really. Uh, with 24-7 professional monitoring, Simply Safe's agents call you the moment a threat is detected and they dispatch police or first responders in an emergency even if you're not home or cannot be reached. Simply Safe's monitoring agents truly care about your well-being and are highly trained to keep you calm and safe during stressful situations, staying on the line with you until help arrives. So if you are someone who travels for work a lot and your family stays home behind you and you're worried about their safety while you're gone, Simply Safe is the answer. Simply Safe's customer first policies make sure you're taken care of with affordable plans starting at less than $1 a day and no long term contracts or hidden fees because feeling safe at home 
shouldn't break the bank. Customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash citizen podcast. Go today and claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off with interactive monitoring. Go to simplysafe.com slash citizen podcast. That's S I M P L I S A F E dot com slash citizen podcast. So <clears throat> tell me kind of how you figured this part out. I've read a little bit about um, using peppermint oil as uh, as a pre workout, kind of like to. Um, I mean, there, there's some, there's some benefits to it, but also just kind of waking your body up, right. Uh, is, is yeah. part of uh, what peppermint oil does. Tell me a little bit about how the science behind it developed. Yeah. So there's a, there's a few different things. I, I guess there's, there's both like the, there's a few different, obviously with different plants, you get different benefits. Mm-hmm. So specifically, like you said, peppermint was actually one of the first ones that we honed in on. Peppermint's really interesting because it it naturally opens up your airways. Mm-hmm. And one of the first use cases we actually were using fume for was when we were working out, um, pretty much using peppermint oil, especially when you're congested, we would just put some on our hands sure. and kind of breathe it off of our hands and have it that way. Um, and you know that worked to open up your airways, help you breathe better, have a better workout, get more oxygen into your system. Um, so that was one of the original things we were looking at with peppermint. But then it's also super interesting. There's plants such as black pepper where the the aroma and the smell, it's been shown to kind of be similar to some of the effects of how nicotine and how smoking if, interacts with your respiratory tract. Um, that flavor actually interacts with the nerve endings in your mouth hmm. um, in a similar way to the to smoking, which is really, really interesting. So there's been some studies that have been done on specifically black pepper for helping reduce nicotine cravings, um, which is really, really interesting. And so that's that's one of the main things that we focus on. But together with that, like with our flavors, we're mostly trying to figure out, it's, it's twofold. We're looking for plants that are effective in helping you in more of a physiological sense, mm-hmm. but the even bigger focus there is like, what do you actually enjoy? What do you want to use? <laughs> because our belief is if we make a product with fume that you actually enjoy and want to use, you know, that's going to be very helpful for you in quitting. Or it's like, if you're rather than going from having something with a smoke or a vape to going to absolutely nothing, you know, if you have a, something to switch to, that still is something that you enjoy. Um, you know, you win, and then you're going to be able to quit more successfully. Sure. And there's a practical use for it beyond just smoking cessation as well. in a lot of these cases, right? Because you're, you, you, there is a bifurcation, uh, between the physiological impact and the, you know, hand to mouth habit or the enjoyment part. Right. I, I think that's super smart. Um, and it's, I want to jump into this quick cause this is, this is all super interesting to me. One of the principles for the show um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, the list we have, but one of the principles is I'll place virtue above commerce. Um, <clears throat> a lot of people think that me, and there, there's a, a lot of ways to say it too. A lot of people think that you can't run an ethical business and be hyper successful. Well, I, I don't believe that because I do it myself. Um, I've done it before with Black Rifle as well, where we, you know, a, a large portion, more than 1% of our revenue, not net, not, uh, net revenue, gross revenue went towards uh, veteran charities and stuff. So I know that it's possible in this particular world, people have this idea and look, I say it myself a lot. There's no, there's no money in the cure. Like you're not going to get super rich curing things. It's, it's about treatment over time because it's repeat customers. Uh, that's what people think at least, but it's not necessarily true. There are a lot of, uh, 
there are a lot of things that are both, I guess, a treatment and a cure at the same time, right? So if you're talking about uh, ceasing one behavior and then picking up a, a beneficial behavior, uh, you're, you're technically doing both at the same time. Nitric oxide was one of those uh, things, right? It, it's, it, it was really good at solving some respiratory problems that people had, but it was also really good at benefiting people who were, like you said, going to the gym, trying to open up airways and things like that, adding oxygen to your bloodstream. Uh, downstream, it also helped with, uh, with erectile dysfunction and shit like that as well. But that was just kind of a, a side effect almost uh, in the same yeah. way that the original Viagra formula was to open up the, the uh, baffling airways in your lungs and stuff. It just happened to have that side effect. But there's the point of all that is that and, and I've talked to um, multiple people about this before, about starting businesses uh, on this show and doing so ethically, finding gaps in the marketplace where you can build a successful business for you, your friends, your family, so on and so forth, and your partners, but also really contribute something beneficial to society. And I think that's an important that, – that it's if you're going to make money off of society, you should do, do it in a way that gives something to the, to the, to the community, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I think, I think for me that value in business is that's like one of the things that drew me to business. Um, to be quite honest, I'm, I'm fairly skeptical about a lot of the different other organizations in the world and their ability to make change, um, whether that's government or, or, you know, even nonprofits and that type of thing. Again, it's not that there's not people there with good intentions, but I guess for me, I personally see business as being a powerful tool for positive change. And it's, it's not just for, you know, and again, that doesn't mean that you have to be a nonprofit. Like you can actually be a business that's functional, um, but also is serving, I guess for us, we look at serving my, my goal is for that we be able to serve our customers super, super well, that we can have an impact with our customers to make their lives better. You know, that we can have an impact with our staff, um, with our team that we can provide great jobs for people um, that are meaningful and they also get to be a part of that meaningful journey and get compensated fairly for that. And then also that we can have a broader impact in our community and in, in the world in general and doing good and having that positive impact as well. And again, it's harder to make a business that does that, but it also isn't. I had a business professor who really just drilled this into me and he's still a mentor of mine when I was in college. And he said that, you know, if you want to be successful in business, create value for people, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you, <laughs> it's so funny, it's so simple, but it's also like people forget it. It's that, like, that's the number one thing is your value proposition. It literally is the, that's exactly. anytime you go into, like I was the uh, VP of marketing for Black Rifle Coffee, which is now a publicly traded company. The first thing in our, in our marketing strategy meetings, right up on the board was our value proposition. We serve uh, uh, coffee to people who love America, right? That was our value yeah. proposition. So that's like the very baseline thing. And most companies seem to have forgotten that they're like, well, what can we, how can we maximize our market share? Like, no, dude, you're starting at the wrong place. All that stuff yeah. will come like, yeah, you have to strategize and make good business decisions, but all that stuff comes as a result of having that strong uh, value proposition. Yeah. Well, and that strong value proposition is just like, if you make if you make shit that impacts people's lives and changes changes how they live and makes their life way better, you're gonna get paid for that, yeah. right? 
And and it's like if you make people's lives better, you will get compensated for that. Right. Like that's that's how you make economic decisions every day. Like what I buy for groceries, what I, which restaurant I go to. It's all about, you know, really, it kind of starts from the selfish, the selfish level of like, what do I need slash what do I want as an individual? But companies that serve that are the companies that I'm going to I'm going to do commerce with them right mm. um and it and it's like again there's spots in the system where that can become manipulative and that can get broken but that fundamental pr principle in business i think it's one of the reasons capitalism works so mm. well right it's it's like you know let's give our money to the guy who's really really helping us and it's like it's that whole billionaire conversation where it's like oh these people don't deserve don't deserve that money right because they're you know I, again i don't understand that but it's like you know elon musk is really rich because he developed a shit ton of value and made everybody's life better with yeah. paypal with tesla and yeah he, he's not he's not market, selling right he's like, not selling beanie babies you know what i mean he's not selling like some shitty item just to sell stuff right he's exactly there there is literal value in every every project he takes on whether you agree with the value or not or, or how valued it is is I, I suppose debatable but the fact that he goes directly to gaps in the marketplace and tries to make that more efficient for everybody there's no question about that right yeah well and that's and people will pay for stuff that makes their life better and if you look at it i guess even you know just in general it's like that perception where it's like well what if what if we viewed it was kind of interesting i i met i met somebody at an event and it, he looked he was clearly in his 60s very successful guy kind of in the conversation it came up he lived in a really nice area of the city right next to the river i know those properties are worth a lot so i'm like clearly this guy has done a lot of you know he's done a he's been successful at something and it's like rather than looking and i got into it i was thinking about it later and i was like it, you know rather than being like hey how did you get rich it's like what is what if the question was and this is a more accurate question how did you like how did you provide so much value for people over your career mm. right and it's like like because that is the successful thing i think what taints our our picture on that is things like you said earlier like the pharma industry mm. where it gets it, it isn't truly about just like they provided value to a ton of people and that's why they're these massive companies like they did but they didn't and there's manipulation and there's dishonesty and there's all these other things in there that are mixed in which make us then skeptical of really of the whole system in general right where it's like mm -hmm. well if you're successful you must be manipulative and it's like no the truth is, is there's some key people in business who are manipulative and are just super super selfish but the I think actually the vast majority are people who are like, how do I provide value for people? And people want to have impact. Like I, I I guess I would believe that in general, people don't want to be don't want to be a douche. Like they <laughs> they, mm -hmm. they actually want to live a life where they're like, hey, I'm proud of what I did. Look at look at that impact that I had. Right. And I guess for me, that's one of the that's the fundamental motivation for me with business is like when I started with my co-founders, we kind of looked at it and we're like we were excited about building a business where we're like, that would be so sweet if we could hit all of those spots. Like if we could impact customers, mm -hmm. if we could impact our staff and impact the broader world, I can tell you it's harder. Like it's harder because you have to make sacrifices sometimes where it's like, yeah, you're not putting your own self-interest first. That's what that's <laughs> so that can mean, you know, for the first couple of the years of the company, it's like you're giving, I guess you mentioned with Black Rifle, you know, giving away a portion of your profits. Mm -hmm. That's not easy at the beginning of a company. And we actually did something similar mm -hmm. where we 
donated to an orphanage as a portion of our profits around two percent every year of of gross revenue and it's like we weren't even making proper wages as the people (laughs) on staff but we were doing that right and again it's like i look at it if i would have if you would have stopped me in college and said hey like your company has donated these this massive amount of money to a charity only like three four years into the company i would have been like no way that's Mm. insane like there's no way we'd be able to do that but somehow we did right and that's and that's i guess that's why i believe in business as being one of those things that can actually be a real change motivator because it can hit all of those different avenues of having impact yeah for sure i mean i think there's uh to back on the farming industry They've certainly provided quite a bit of value, right, over the last yeah. hundred years or so. There's no question about that. Uh, probably actually more value than any other industry. I mean, you could compare it to tech, I suppose, but it's only been recently that tech has had a huge uh, role in keeping people alive. I would suppose, I suppose, over like the last yeah. thirty years, maybe. But farm has been keeping people alive. <sighs> I mean, I guess the first really big impact would be Jonas Salk, right? I mean, that that was quite a while ago, just uh, developing a polio vaccine and essentially giving it away for his lap cost yeah. to the federal government, which in hindsight may not have been the best. I, I'm, there's probably a happy medium where he should have been paid because I think the market value was about $7 billion for that. But um, somewhere between $0 and $7 billion, there was probably a, a, an appropriate sum that we should have paid that guy because he fucking literally saved the saved North America. But, um, as, as you alluded to, they've also been fined and paid more civil penalties than any other and that all other industries combined in the history of U S jurisprudence, like literally more than anybody else. So it's easy to, I, I think it's, that's the result of the difference between your motivation and value proposition as a company. Are you in it to maximize profits or are you in it for these other reasons, right? To, you know, contribute. Uh, I remember yeah. listening to uh, John Mackey from Whole Foods has, has been back out on the stump again. He's done this like once every 10 years, he'll pop up and say some shit. Um, but he was in a debate. Well, recently he said that uh, socialists are taking over the country, blah, blah, blah. He prefers what he calls conscious capitalism, which is what you're referring to. Um, yeah. And when he was in a debate with Milton Friedman back in the day, he said, from an investor's perspective, the purpose of the business is to maximize profits. But that's not the purpose for the other stakeholders, for customers, employees, suppliers, and the community. Each of these groups will define purpose in the business in terms of its own needs and desires. And each of those perspectives is valid and legitimate. So as a business owner, if you want to be successful, (laughs) it's we're beyond the days where all press is good press. You know what I mean? Like, Like sometimes getting quote unquote canceled by somebody could be beneficial because the outrage mob has, uh, I suppose a mob that fights back against it kind of organically, but you don't want to be, you don't want to be in that bullshit. You know what I mean? That's just not, it's a distraction, but if you've, if you provide value, like legitimate value to your community and to your customers, then you have a kind of an internal defense system against that bullshit. Like we in the early days, a lot of people talk shit to Black Rifle because, you know, the word rifles in the name of the company. Um, we like to shoot and blow shit up all the time, um, but I mean that's what we've been doing our whole lives. You know what I mean? 
Uh, and then, you know, it kind of turned where we weren't conservative enough for a while, right? And that, that group attacked us. But we've had this core audience for seven, eight years now that we don't have to get involved in defending ourselves anymore. We just kind of let them do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's like that, that's one very small example of the benefit of that. But the, re the real benefit is that it makes your business more robust and more resilient. And now you have these firebrand people who are out there proselytizing others on your behalf. Definitely. Yeah. And you can't, I guess it's like we get these, we get feedback from customers like, Hey, I tried a bunch of different methods for quitting smoking. Nothing worked for me. I tried fume. I successfully quit after smoking for 40 years. This changed my life. Like, <laughs> like statistically that person's putting 10 years of extra life, mm. like life, like a life expectancy on. Right. And so it's like, how do you like, you know, that person it's like they're now our biggest evangelist right like it's just like there's no stopping that and it's like if you focus on that and that is our number one focus it's like how do we help people more effectively right and we the profits will follow that right it's not this like nice straight line right and i think oftentimes the short-termism of like public companies mm -hmm. large public companies where you have to show you know constant profits constant growth all these different things you sacrifice maybe just focusing on how do we best impact the customer and provide value right because sometimes it's like if you can have a mindset where you're like, it doesn't matter what we do this quarter, but I know in the long term by doing such and such project, even though it's going to cost a lot, not going to be profitable for a long time, this is going to impact a lot of people positively and also is genuinely going to be what's in the best interest of the business. Mm -hmm. It's just not going to show up next quarter or even next year. It's going to show up, you know, two, three years from now. And I think that's one of the biggest things where it's like if even just if you could subtract out some of that short termism from like some of the larger public companies, I think there could be a lot of benefit overall. Like, but again, that's just a bit of the fault of public markets, right? Sure. Of, yeah. Of how that all works. Well, there's but, quite a bit of myopia in general and, and, and recent public markets. I mean, you know, this, so smart people don't keep a bunch of money in their bank account. They get equity in things uh, and smart, yep. smart investors, they jump in and out of, some markets a lot, but their primary holdings are typically long-term holdings, right? And there's a reason for that. It's because you, the time value of money, if you can transition your short-term holdings, which are cash and things like that, into long-term equity, then you're kind of immune to inflation in a lot of ways. As a matter of fact, sometimes inflation makes your money worth more. Um, and this is something that's a big problem in America right now because <clears throat> of these uh, kind of man-made housing crises that we keep running into over the last 20 years. Um, for, the, for a middle-class person, their primary source of wealth creation in their life is the equity in their home that they own. And now we have about 40% less homeowners than we used to have, which means more equity, more, more wealth is uh, uh, held at the very top and people have less flexibility, right? So when we started these businesses, <clears throat> that was one of our main goals is to make sure that we have well-paid employees, right? Like whatever it is that we're doing, it has to, uh, it, it comes back to one of the other principles, which is um, everywhere I go, I'll be a leader and leaders eat last. Like as a leader, you make sure everybody else is fed before yourself. And that stuff permeates through culture, man. Like you, leaders don't starve to death. They have strong teams and the team is successful and that success leads to more food for everybody. That's how that works, right? It's how it's always worked. That's why civilizations exist in the first place. There's no 
uh, individuals in reality. That just doesn't exist. Um, but I do think there is, because of some of the stuff you said, there's a much larger appetite right now than there was five years ago for self-reliance. Then, and it's like more than we've had in a very long time, I think, because people are starting to wake up to what you were mentioning, which is large organizations and large governments simply aren't efficient at helping people. And, and they're also extremely susceptible to bad actors, right? So this is the kind of tool uh, the fume wooden pipe, I guess. Is that what you, how do you refer to this item? We call it a diffusive device. Diffusive device. It's not really a pipe. There's a yeah. smoke. Um, yeah. So this is the kind of thing, small part of your life. It's like eating less sugar, right? Uh, the life expectancy for people who have smoked their entire adult lives who stop at 40 uh, uh, quitting smoking before 40 reduces the risk of dying from smoking related disease by 90%, 90, nine, zero percent. Like that's the, one of the more efficient medical stats you're ever going to hear. You know what I mean? <laughs> there's not, there's not many things that are that, that sure. And that lockdown, Correct, you, yeah. you look long and hard to find a statistic like yeah. that. So it's like this, this kind of thing is about, uh, taking control of your life. You know what I mean? Like, yeah doing building the right kind of habits and unmaking a habit is difficult. I think it's actually more difficult to unmake a bad habit than it is to make a good one. Um, yeah, but you know, there's, there's never a good time to start except for right now. Like there, like yeah. people are like, Oh, I'll, I'll start, you know, in two weeks when I get back from this trip, like, no, nope, no, you won't start right now. Um, back to the, uh, the self-reliance thing. Uh, you guys have, um, you guys have run this business entirely on your own, right? Yeah. Like as in, yeah, I, I was one of the co-founders. Uh, my brother was one of the other co-founders. Mm -hmm. He's still with us as well. Um, we, right now we haven't, we've got a small friends and family around, but mm -hmm. other than that, yeah, we own a hundred percent of the business. I got, I, I guess I definitely don't run this on my own. I got a ton of a ton of mentors, board of advisors, connections, and those people have been huge. But in an, in the sense of control, yeah, like mm -hmm. we we have run this our own on our own. And uh, that's is that something that's important to you to continue to maintain control? I mean, look. So when you have something that I, that I think, first of all, this is super effective at stopping smoking. And as we just illustrated, that it's a big deal for people. Like if you're most of our audience is in that age range. And if you smoke now, you shouldn't, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it's just, it, it, there's, this isn't like some other, <clears throat> like I am the science controversial thing, whatever the fuck that's been going on the last <laughs> couple of years. This is legit. Yeah. This is legit. If you smoke, you're going to die early, right? That's just how yeah. it is. And not only you're going to die early, but the last years you do have are not going to be very pleasant. So, you know, it's gotta, I, I feel like just from, from, you know, having conversations with you that it's, it must be important to you guys to maintain control over this thing. Not, not for like ego or any of that shit, but to make sure that it, you know, stays on the right course. Yeah. Well, and I guess for me being, I come from an entrepreneurial family. Uh, my dad was always an entrepreneur and did quite a few different businesses, started a trucking company in his twenties and different things. And I, 
I guess for me, I like, I think it comes from him uh, mostly, but he valued flexibility and the ability to just make decisions that make sense for you. And so that you can live by your values like that for him, that was tied up in being an entrepreneur as well. Was that if you're an entrepreneur, you can prioritize what's the most important to you. Right. And you don't have to be beholden to other people. Mm. Right. Again, it's not that that, that doesn't come without sacrifices. Mm-hmm. Like people think it's, it's, I always say the the people who wish they were the boss or the CEO are the people who would never make it because yeah. they would probably overutilize the benefits per right. se as like, I can do whatever the frick I want. And they probably wouldn't have the conscientiousness and the work and the responsibility that it takes to actually keep the thing on the rails. Like oftentimes it tends towards the people who do do that stuff are the obsessive work too many hours type are the ones who end up being in those roles and you kind of have to be, but at least the benefit to that is then you get to choose, right? Like there's no gun to your head being, all right, your schedule is this and you have to do this, this, and this, Mm. or, or, you know, it, you have the flexibility. And for me, I guess it's like, I, I value flexibility and freedom so highly to be able to make the choices that I want. And I hate, I guess previously I've been in organizations where, you know, you see problems, you see things that aren't great and you don't have the power to ju- to change them. And then there's things that are illogical, that are inefficient, that aren't helping people, that are hurting people, you know, but you, you don't have the power to make any change. And that for me is like the most frustrating yeah. thing. <laughs> I mean, it kills, so even- it kills all of your motivation and creativity. Especially like oh, a, yeah. If you're like a creative entrepreneurial thinker and you're stuck in a cubicle somewhere, that's going to fuck you up. You know what I mean? Like you've yeah. got to, you've got to set aside time for yourself, even if it costs you something else after work or whatever the fuck to work on the shit that matters to you for sure. Yeah. Well, and you got to find that spot where it's like, mm. oh, okay. The, the truth is, is like, and again, this is a harsh reality, but if you're, if you're leading a business, if you got a problem with your business, it's your fault. Right. Like that's, that's the thing where it's like nothing in my business is not my fault. Like I can, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously everybody has responsibility. There's different roles in our company, but at the end of the day, if something's not the way it should be, that responsibility comes back to me as the leader. Right. And, and again, that's, that's like, that's the flip side of having I guess you could call it power per se, right? Like, and and sometimes people want just the one side of the of the coin. They want the side that says I get sure. to choose whatever I get to choose, but they don't want the other side that says I also have to deal with all of the consequences and are a hundred percent responsible for everything that happens in this organization. And you know, one of the one of the sentences that we talk about a lot is like, "What you tolerate, you teach," mm. right? Yep. Yeah. And so it's like, if, if you have something that bugs you, if it's something could be better and you tolerate it and you don't speak up, you don't make an effort to change it. That means that you're sort of teaching as a leader that that's okay. That whatever that thing is, you know, that you're kind of bugged by, but you're not bringing it up or the, the, you know, the lack of performance in an area or somebody not treating their other, you know, coworkers respectfully, whatever it is whatever you tolerate you teach right um and that's that's a harsh reality sometimes right and that means that you got to have that conflict as a leader with people to bring things up but yeah at the end of the day that responsibility lies with the leader right and i guess that's along the lines of what you were saying with the you know eater leaders eat last Mm -hmm. right it's it's that 
it doesn't matter. Right. Like, I, and I guess something else we, another saying that we have in our company is it's like, you got to milk the cow. Right. Which is, I guess I, I grew up on a farm for a portion. That's a very of Saskatchewan teenage. thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But as in, and like my, my, my parents literally had cows and, mm. and stuff, but it's like, there's this level of like, you just have to take responsibility for whatever it is that needs to get done and just get it done. Like there's mm. no, there's no just <laughs> like, Oh, well, we'll just let that lie and whatever like that. That isn't a thing. And that mentality like that starts that needs to start from the leader as in we're just going to do what we need to do and not pretty much have bullshit like, mm -hmm. um, you know, bullshit reasons for why we're not doing. But but that's a hard thing to do. It's hard to have that discipline to be like, no, we need to go out there and actually fix whatever is wrong. Right. Whereas mm -hmm. it's easy to tolerate chaos to tolerate you know things being imperfect and breaking down and whatever but that's going to bring you in a direction that you don't want to go at sure. the end of the day um yeah yeah 100 percent. and it's interesting you say that about the responsibilities of leadership because <clears throat> it's one of the things i preach on the show a lot uh about what it is to be a citizen like the literal definition is a legally recognized member of a state with associated rights and obligations we seem to forget about the obligations part a lot because i hear a lot of people talking yeah. about their rights all the time and you know the it, it's it's the classic dichotomy the social contract whatever you want to call it where uh you can either choose to be like if you if you're if you're happy to be complacent and you know, cruise through life and sit in your cubicle, then that's fine. You'll get your 401k or whatever it is. And you'll, you'll live the life that comes with that. But you know, if you want more, it requires more. That's just how it is. Yeah. And <clears throat> with, you know, being, being a member of society, we've been very content to talk about our rights a lot and uh, uh, not fulfill our obligations. Um, I, I was talking to Andy Priscilla about it the other day. We are all of a like mind. Most people are live and let live people. They just want to be kind of left alone to do what they want, but they enjoy the infrastructure of society and stuff. And of, of, of course, that's a reasonable way to think about things, but a little naive right? To think that yeah. we can, we can all just go about our business and things are just going to work out. Okay. Because it's never been like that in human history. We're like, you have to contribute. You have to be, if, uh, if you want to live in the type of society you, you want to live in, then you have to be part of shaping that society. That's just how it is. Right. And you can either choose to be a citizen and do these things, or you're going to be a subject under the rule of people who don't give a fuck about what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, I think for me, that's really interesting like the way the digital world can skew that, right? Mm. I guess we have so much affluence. We have, it's incredible. It's, it's, it's incredible that we can have, you know, heated homes or air conditioned homes. We get to have our food delivered to us with Uber. You know, we can, we can have these conversations. You're down in Texas. I'm up in Canada right now. We can chat. Like, it's incredible, like what we have access to. But I think with that affluence, we get disconnected mm from the reality of like, I guess it's like, I also enjoy outdoors activities mm. like hiking and, and multi-day hiking trips. 
you get out there if you get out in the middle of the wilderness all on your own and it's just you and a couple buddies and there's massive grizzly bears out there and you have to plan out hey there's this massive storm coming or like we have to worry about such and such and you're right down to the fundamentals of like I got to care about making sure what that I have what I need to eat and that if shit goes down, I, we can get out of here yeah. safe. But it's also fun like that. I guess we're so far away from that hunter gatherer type lifestyle in our everyday that that reality that what I do matters, like what I do every day matters and can change reality. And if I don't do stuff correctly, that it could result in bad you know, bad outcomes. Right. And as a society, I think it's like with that level of affluence that we have, the truth is that a lot of it, our systems, our companies, the rest of our culture is pulling a lot of weight for people. Right. Because it's like, you don't have to, <laughs> you know, there's insurance. If you fuck up your car, there's, you know, there's, there's all these checks and balances in our system where people can kind of walk around bubble wrapped for the most part and not have to come up against that hard confrontation of my actions have implications and that, you know, it matters what I do, which is, which is both a blessing, but is also like our biggest curse. And it's like, if I'm looking at things that, you know, what could sink us as a Western civilization, it's that like, if we become too complacent in that it's like i genuinely worry if there was real conflicts right mm. if there was real conflicts or a real crisis like we saw this with covid again covid was you know it was a crisis there was things that were hard mm. but the how people responded to that and how much they were impacted by it and it's like if you look at that in comparison to some of the crises in like world war ii or different things it's like this is baby stuff, man. Like, you know, it's, it's not a real crisis. Like, you know, people aren't going hungry. There's not rioting on, like, like, I guess it's, it's a base level crisis and we didn't necessarily respond great to that. So my question then becomes, do we have the fortitude and do we have the character that actually is going to step up when there's a true crisis? That's, that's a really good question. Yeah. And it's, it's tough, but it's like, sometimes maybe, Again, it's like thinking about the there was the philosophy, you know, pre-World War One that it's like war and struggle is good for people because it brings out the best in their character. Then right. World War happened. World War sorry, World War One happened mm. and they're like, Oh, that's a stupid philosophy. That's right. shit. And again, it's like I definitely don't I would I don't want things. I don't want crisis. I don't want it. Right. Like it's 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 horrible. Like I, I don't want there to be we're blessed with our culture right now. Right. But at the same time, it could happen. Right. And if it does happen, it's also true where it's like that when things are really, really hard is when you build character. Right. And it's like, as a society, we haven't had much to sort of crush up against. That's actually mm. forced us to, to develop character. Right. Um, and it's like that has detrimental effects and it's, I, yeah, it's worrying to me. And I, I don't know what the answer is as a culture, right? Like individuals can choose to go out and build that character for yourself. You can go jump in the ice bath. You can push yourself mm-hmm. physically, you can do, do challenging activities. You can, and that's good for you. That builds character, right? But what is that on a, what is that on a societal level, right? Like I, 
I don't know. I don't know what the answers are there, but I think, I think there's a necessity where, you know, we spend money as if it just grows on trees and there's always going to be more money, like with our governmental systems and stuff. And, you know, it, the truth is, is like, there's limits to these things mm. and these things don't just like money doesn't just appear. There's, there's effects. We're seeing that with the inflation now, mm. right? Like when you print an extra 40% of money supply, yeah, it inflates stuff, right? Like, Again, it's this. I I feel like we live in a dreamland sometimes. At sometimes as a society, and I think it's like on an individual level, I have a lot more hope for people to be able to overcome that. But on a societal level, that is a big question. How do you how do you start to overcome that? Right. Mm -hmm. It is a good question. I mean, if you think about um, athletic performance, you practice very deliberately to make sure that your fundamentals are correct. Right. Um, people yeah. say that you you practice like you play, but that's not necessarily true because when you're like if you're a baseball player and your swing gets fucked up, uh, you don't go out there and try to do a home run derby to get your swing back. That's not how that works. You go back to the fundamentals and you break your swing down into certain segments and then you start at quicker speed and quicker speed and then finally full speed. And the point is to get the fundamentals down so you can operate at full speed so you can react instead of thinking. Right. Like that's the point of of, of muscle memory and stuff. Well, we had to do this for a long time in, all, in the ways that you were talking about, the outdoor stuff or whatever against the elements just to stay alive. So when, yeah. there, when the Industrial Revolution came around, we were, we were prepared. We were ready for the types of societal changes that come with that, with the creative destruction and, and uh, you know, just the way that it remolds society. <clears throat> we were ready for all those changes. We still had a sense of brotherhood and honor, you know, like in the middle of the 20th century. If your neighbor is moving in next to you, you don't fucking wonder what their politics are you go and ask them if they need help or you you yeah. cook dinner for them because you know they don't have all their shit there yet or something that that was that was the standard that was the expectation and if you didn't do that you were kind of a dick right and everybody knew yeah. it um now in the tech age we're so far removed from doing things just to have to stay alive that we're unprepared for any kind of societal change and and what we've done instead is relied on government to help us. And we've subjugated ourselves to their whims now. Right. Like it, yeah. it, it, it's, we've, we've, we've handed the drunk person, the keys to the car, basically, you know what I mean? It doesn't make any sense, but it, it does make sense when you think about it, because not only is it our incompetence and laziness, um, and you know, there's some circumstance involved as well, but you, it is also ignorance because there's always bad actors and we always yeah. have to protect against that. Why would there not be, you know what I mean? We all know that that's true. And we just hope for the best. Well, hope's not a fucking game plan, brother. You know, you gotta, <laughs> there, there, there's work to be done here. Um, on the societal change, that's a good question, man. I really don't know. There's a lot of people that do the stuff that we do that try to motivate people and guide people in the right direction. But you're right. Ultimately, it is their decision. And I think there might have to be some kind of pain before there's, you know, a recovery from this. And I don't know what that looks like. Yeah. And I guess it's like, there is, there is hopeful spots, right? Like there is a lot of like, I guess more, I guess it would be ground. If you want to call it grassroots type mm -hmm. level of people just talking about like that, that doesn't make a change talking about these philosophies of like adopting, Hey, I need to be someone who goes out, disciplines myself, does hard things, mm -hmm. owns my life, owns my reality. And the truth is like, that I guess I, I do see that and I do even see that increasing in culture where people realize that is actually how you live a meaningful and successful life is doing that. Right. And then I guess it's like, well, if you can do it for yourself, then maybe you could do it 
for your family, like, and lead them in that. And then if you could do it for your family, maybe you could lead, you know, a couple other families and be sort of a, somebody in your neighborhood where you're having that influence and showing like, Hey, let's, let's own this. Let's try to make this better. Let's change for the positive. Right. And then in, if you're at the neighborhood, you know, and you can keep leveling up and eventually maybe that turns into the high end, you know, maybe actually some like leaders in government having more of that philosophy as well. Right. Um, but yeah, the truth is, is most people, most people are typically pretty apathetic mm. and just kind of don't care. And I've been challenged by that myself. Like I, even a couple of years ago, I kind of had the perspective on politics that it's like, well, you know, what does my vote count? Why should I care? All those different things. And, and I started to, I guess I, I don't know if it was books or podcasts, but I was, I was challenged on that. Maybe it was friends even. And I guess I, I was challenged on it where I was like, I can't complain about these things if I don't actually like try to at least participate and like push for something and try to make it better. Right. Um, and it's like, I look at a lot of people my age and there's just a lot of apathy where it's like, yeah, you know, like people are going to vote for whoever they're going to vote for. They're all going to kind of be corrupt and government just kind of sucks and whatever. Mm -hmm. But I, I hear stuff like just recently here in Canada, data came out that Canada has the lowest expected growth rate out of all major developed countries for the next 10 years, like economically. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's super disturbing for me because like again it's not all about the economics but if you're if your economics if you if we have the lowest growth rate as a country that means like that 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 means our quality of life's going to be going down sure. right like it it does and it's like and what kind of future do i want for my eventual kids right like and what what and i care about that right and it's like so then i guess it's sometimes it's hard to know how you can actually take actions that change things but i guess you got to try <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> that would be the biggest thing is like whatever kind of makes sense you got to put your hand to it right and mm. and and see what you can do yeah uh american manufacturing used to be a big deal for a very long time you know and <clears throat> one of the reasons that it was so beneficial to our economy was that there were physical products being made, which means, you know, you need source material, you need people that know how to work with that material. And a lot of people, a lot of people around you and your close proximity made money along the way. You know what I mean? So it wasn't yeah. now with tech, you know, there are a couple of companies that do a pretty good job of profit sharing and things like that. But uh, like Amazon, for example, and it isn't just the company and how they operate internally. It's the impact they have on smaller businesses as well. So yeah. now instead of, you know, as big as a textile company could have become, they still have to buy source material from somewhere. They still have to have engineers build their machines. They still had to have engineers come and fix their machines or whatever the case is. Now it's like for a company like Amazon, they have offshore engineers tech engineers that yeah. are doing their stuff, which is not contributing to our economy. And then they're putting smaller businesses out of business. You know what I mean? And I don't necessarily think that Jeff Bezos is some evil genius trying to take over the world or anything. It's just that that's how creative destruction works. Right. And we've not done a very good job in our economy now of finding a way to make sure. And I, look, I don't think it's like universal basic income necessarily or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It's just like a smart, a smarter way to, uh, uh, yeah, share the wealth for lack of a better phrase. You know what I mean? 
uh, to, to make sure that yeah. it's the, to make sure that the rising tide does indeed lift all boats. and doesn't drown a bunch of people. You know, I, it, there's gotta be a better way to do it than what we're doing right now, because with tech, there's no physical object, right? So that, that like 40% of the effort into that product is now gone completely. So 40% yeah. of the 40% of the profit share is gone, at least in the current system I, that it's, that is the, that's a, a type of creative destruction that I don't think we've seen yet. Tech is tech is totally different. Yeah, no, and it's super interesting. I guess I've I've thought a bit about that where it's like technology, like what is technology, right? It pretty much is amplifying the productivity or sort of for lack of a better word, power that an individual can have, right? Um and for, it's, like it's a force tech, a force multiplier is what we call that in the military. Exactly. Yeah. Like and you know, in very basic terms, mm. okay, if you have a guy without a shovel and a guy with a shovel, mm. say to both of them, dig a hole, the guy with the shovel is going to do better. But then if you have a guy with an excavator, it's, you know what I'm saying? Yep. It just keeps leveling up like that. And in general, it's like, yeah, that has been good for human thriving, but there's also an inherent problem with that where as technology becomes more and more effective, like it's not even based on the... I guess the first the first revolution was that like I guess the power revolution that you mm. could have motors that could do something, but there wasn't intelligence or programming kind of right. paired with it. So then it's still you still need an operator for each machine, everything like that. But where we're going is it's it's the concentration of power and with technology is exponentially growing, right? Mm. And so that that has the potential to be able to like it is already like to raise the quality of human living incredibly but with that also the the abuse of power could become higher and higher and higher too mm -hmm. right um and it, and you have that you have that problem you're talking about where it's like okay well what do you do if you're someone who used to be making your your wage picking veggies right mm -hmm. and now there's an automated thing that picks all the veggies in theory you know that is reducing the amount of labor so people have to work less but if you're not getting paid and you don't have something to be putting your effort and time into like one you're not going to be a happy person right? like people need to work and people need to have meaningful things to do in order to feel fulfilled and to have satisfaction but also like yeah you're going to be you're going to be it's just not going to be good for society but what do you i guess that that is that thing where it's like which way do you go like because you have the one side where it's like well we shouldn't restrict that and that is a net gain for for civilization to have technology like that and that would just be you know you could end up with massive disparity in classes and then the other side you you're leaning more towards a communist type model mm. right and i guess i don't really like i don't really like both of those yeah so it's like yeah where where is the where is the center ground? Because it's like, we don't want to rest in my opinion, like we want to ethically develop technology as far as we can. And we need to have safeguards in place, but it, in general, it is, it's improving people's quality of life. Sure. Right. Like it, it just is. And it's, you know, there's big problems to solve and let's get out there and solve them. That's how we drive things mm -hmm. forward. But how do you also do that? while not letting people just get left behind. Right? Well, sure. I mean, it's about, and, it's about education, yeah. right? So in the American, I don't know how it works or how it has worked in Canada, uh, I'm sure you have some insight on this, but in, in the American public education system, the primary objective is to create compliant workers, right? So mm. think about what it means. Think about yourself in, in like fifth or sixth grade and what it meant to be a good student. Certainly getting good grades and all that stuff is part of it. But what it meant to be a good student was to be quiet, not disruptive, show up on time and, and provide 
positive work output, right? That, so what does that sound like to you? It sounds like working in a fucking factory to me. And that's not yeah. like that, that is, you know, maybe it's intentional. Maybe it's not, maybe it's just because education in that form doesn't scale properly. Right. So you can't really take the time and attention at that level, which is why, by the way, before the uh, 20th century, the primary education happened at the home. So math, reading, science, yeah. and stuff like that. Like the basics were taught in the home. And when you went to uh, public school, they taught you advanced shit, like new languages, literature, things like that, right? It was very specific, at least here in the United States. Now it's not like that. Now it's just like we have these uh, <clears throat> uh, these test scores that that if we don't hit the right number, you don't get funded next year. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. that's not how that's supposed to work at all. Um, but it's, you know, I can't tell like the conspiratorial side of me thinks that, and look, Rockefeller said it out loud. He said, we don't want like uh, a super educated workforce. We want people who are smart enough to work, to, to work the machines and mm. then they'll buy our products from us. That's what we really want. So they've said yeah. it out loud before. I just don't know. I don't think the average business person, even a large businesses thinks that way. I think they're just trying to make the best possible product, but it's not enough to have good intentions. Yeah. It's not enough to be good. You have to do good. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if what you're doing is bad, then you're not doing good, obviously. Um, and I, d as far as how to solve that problem, I mean, it's like like-minded people have to get together and say this shit out loud. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, you have to find whether it's a geographic location that has people that, that think like you, that work hard. And I'm not talking about think like you politically. I mean, people who understand that the farther removed we get away from having to uh, sharpen ourselves, you know what I mean? To, to experience struggle, the farther away we get from that, the, the less prepared we are for it. And it's always going to come struggles coming, no matter what you fucking think, it's going to be some yeah. natural disaster or a disease or a war, some bullshit, economic strife, whatever it is, it's coming. And we are so ill prepared for it now. And I think the only real solution, uh, I think you were on Mike Glover's show not too long ago, right? Um, uh, no, no, I wasn't actually. Or maybe he just mentioned you. He 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 brought. Oh, maybe name. he brought your name up okay. to me the other day. I don't. I, yeah. don't, I thought maybe you were on a show. But anyways, um, he uh, this the kind of stuff that he does, right? Teaching people to survive. It's not even like the skills are really important, but it's about the effort. You know what I mean? It's yeah. a, it's about understanding that there's going to be struggle and you need to be prepared for it. It just changes your mindset, and I think that's the biggest first step we can take right now is try to take advantage of this new marketplace where people want to be more self-reliant you know what i mean and yeah. uh you guys are definitely doing that with fume with with getting people healthy again uh mike glover does it with you know skills and training tim kennedy does the same thing with combat sports and and shooting and all this stuff you know what i mean it, i think it all plays a role but i think it's the collective effort to prepare people for struggle you know what i mean because yeah one you're prepared for the struggle and then you've been through some amount of struggle, which just makes you a better person in general. You know what I mean? I think that's the real solution. Well, and it's like, I guess it's like, what's the meaning of life, right? Like it's a big, massive question. And I guess for me, the best answers I've had is it's, it's about pretty much writing a good story, right? And a good story has good conflict and good struggle. It's got a protagonist in it that goes through a lot of shit and battles it out, beats the odds, overcomes stuff wins the saves the princess from the tower and then eventually kind of reaches some pinnacle of of something right but mm. the good story isn't the one that you just stay at home and scroll instagram every day on welfare right like that yeah. that's not a good story I'm, imagine I, a book I about a guy who just won the lottery it would be like four pages 
You know what I mean? Or it would yeah. be, or it would be a tragedy where he won the lottery and wasted all of his money. But there's no arc there. There's no narrative there. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of weird because I think where because of technology, we have to choose to put ourselves into tough situations mm -hmm. to write that story. Because I'm not out there battling for food. I'm not out there, you know, needing. Like I, I, I don't physically need anything. Mm. And like literally, I could go work at McDonald's and have my basic needs met right but it's like the question is like well what kind of story do you want to live right and the truth is, is if you want to be if you want to live a good story you're probably going to have to choose to do things that are challenging that are outside of your comfort zone and that are going to push you right and the thing is is like we it's so weird because we're both like as humans we're wired for comfort mm. like we're always like we're lazy and we're going to choose the easy option but we also like if we go through something hard and we actually make it through we're like that was the best time of my life right, i yeah. loved battling through that that was crazy shit. we almost died that was nuts but we made it and that was epic and i remember that and that like that was balling man like and that's that's the stuff that we remember so it's like it's so weird it's it's the it's i think life without technology people would just naturally have to do that now we have to choose to do that right um we have to choose to go out to build we have to go choose to do something risky we have to choose to try and to pretty much put ourselves out there and the truth is is like you might be risking some of your cup your comfort that you already have by doing that right um i think it was tim ferris that talked about this where he he had a process where he just was talking about risk and the process that he would go through. He said every couple months or something, I think he would actually just for a week eat just rice and sleep on the floor without a mattress for like a week, every couple months or yeah. something like that. Because the point being, he's like, if everything went to shit, if all my startups failed, if I lost all of my money, that's kind of what it would be in a homeless shelter somewhere. <laughs> like if I absolutely hit rock bottom in our current society, that would be the absolute worst. Right. And then the point is, is if you just willingly kind of confront that and be like, oh, well, that's not that bad. I can deal with that. Then your fear of going out and trying to do crazy stuff, it's like, well, you know, I know it can, I know it can go wrong, but that fear is not that I'm dying. That fear is that I'm, <laughs> you know, maybe not having all those things, but even getting to that point, it's like, even if you go out and try a business venture, the chance that you'll actually fail that big because we have such an awesome society, mm. even that is so low. So it's like the barriers to going out and trying and exploring and trying things is lower than it's ever been. But I think also the willingness for people to go and do it. Sure. It's also very, very low. So it's it's a weird paradox. And it's like if people can choose to go out and do that crazy thing, it can have it's at minimum, it's an awesome story, right? Yeah. Even if it fails, it's like that was that was fun. Mm. Yeah, it's that was uh, crazy. People, I learned things. I built character, right? Mm. People kind of see it as a as a burden to have to go out of your way to find discomfort now. But in my opinion, and I think in reality, it's this is actually a really good thing because now you're able to with a lot more information and data and flexibility choose the type of discomfort that will benefit you most in the exact way that you need it or to achieve the yeah. goal that you're specifically trying to do for example if you're trying to get in the crossfit games you know exactly what you need to do right that that's a that's a, a very specific example but if you want to be a business owner 
resilience and, 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 uh, discipline are the two most important things. Like the ability to learn from mistakes and not let them, uh, crumble you and, uh, yeah. staying on task, being disciplined. Those are the two most important things you can learn. Well, you can go out into the woods and learn that shit. You know what I mean? It's not like, it's not like you have to go to university even to, to discover these things. You can find ways yeah. to challenge yourself mentally, whether it's through, you know, maybe you're trying to learn a new language, maybe you're trying to do some skill, or maybe you're trying to like experience extreme physiological discomfort where you're maybe not your survival, but certainly your comfort depends on your level of effort. That's a really good lesson to learn, right? It's why, yeah. it's why most basic trainings for all militaries on earth are pretty much the same, right? Like the skill level is quite a bit different, but the, in, the institution itself is pretty similar. And there's a reason it's because yeah. it works. You know what I mean? So now you've got all this in your hands. Nobody's forcing you to do this stuff. You can tailor it specifically to you and become the best version of yourself that you, you could possibly become. Th things are now available to you that never would have been available to you before. But it's like, I don't know what it is. I, I, I'm sure it, part of it is just the fact that we've been uncomfortable as a species for so long that the comfort seems so relaxing. We don't want to leave it. Maybe it's that, yeah. maybe it's laziness, maybe it's just moral cowardice. I don't know. Maybe it's also uh, paralysis by analysis. There's too many options now and people can't focus in on one thing. Well, an, an interesting thing too, like the internet, it provides a lot of access, but the truth is, is that you're also competing with the world, mm. right? Like that's the beauty of it. And that's the con of it, right? Like, I, I guess I've even thought about this in regards to social media. You know, I, I don't envy kids in high school these days mm. because like when I went to high school, you could be the hot shit of your small town in high school. You could be the best football player or, you know, maybe you're the, the hottest girl in high school or whatever. And that actually meant something because that was like kind of the extent of people's personal like that's that's your realm of what existed to right. you, right? Was like these people around me, right? And now, you know, if you're going out there, it's like you're comparing whatever you're doing to the world, to literally everyone, right? Like we're seeing, like, you know, it's like there's to be good at something, like you you could have, I guess people don't feel like they can actually sort of put a badge on and say, Hey, I accomplished this and I'm pretty good at it right. because you're comparing with so many people on the internet. Right. And it, it's, it's, it's harsh, which like, again, there's pros of being able to reach every, every person, like our business, you know, we benefit a ton from being able to reach people via e-commerce and mm -hmm. connect with the world. And, you know, people can listen to podcasts like this. It's awesome in some ways, but I think that factor of like, if I start something, it can be judged by everyone and I am competing against everyone can can make that non-starter factor, that initial barrier to actually getting going seem even scarier, sure. right? Because, um, yeah, the competition, like, you know, who's, who's at the top of, if you're looking at something like a video game leaderboard, you're competing literally against millions of people. Whereas, you know, in high school, you could be the smartest guy in your math class and that meant something. But now, sure. you know, ranking top 10,000 and something is kind of impressive, but no, also not very impressive. Right. Yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's really interesting the way things have turned. Um, you know, we've, it, it seems like we've taken a really good opportunity and kind of squandered it so far, you know, it, now and then you'll see people that are pretty good at taking advantage of it. But I was talking to, um, this guy, Adam Coleman, he's an author, uh, young black kid that talks about, um, you know, kind of his struggles going up, but also, you know, 
how we as a society like to focus on, at least here in America, hyper-focused on black poverty. But in reality, it's like 15 to 18% of the black community is impoverished, right? So, uh, and the same thing with other uh, races. It, it, it's that we, we think a lot about the impoverished and we should, you know, do whatever we can to, to help with those issues. But 80% of people are not impoverished, right? And we don't, we don't spend a lot of time teaching them the right kind of skills. You know, it's like, it's like having, it's like worrying about, you know, uh, your tires on your car, but not paying attention to the engine or suspension, right? Like it's that, that the tires may look nice at some point or, or whatever, but it's the vehicle still doesn't function as, as, as intended if the major elements of it and, and when I say major, I don't mean most important. I just mean most prevalent. Like the middle class is the most prevalent group of people in North America. Uh, yeah. And what we've taught them is that it's okay to be mediocre. We've taught them that it's okay to rely on other people and government to take care of them. It's what we've taught. And, and, and it's also what we've taught them is it's okay to rely on the government and other people to take care of people in their communities that need help. That's the wrong answer, man. Like you, if you, you see a problem, you fix it. That's how yeah. that's the only way that any of this stuff works. Otherwise, you know, it's like taking your car to a fucking, uh, to a shady mechanic and they're trying to do a bunch of weird shit that isn't necessarily good, good or even necessary at all. It's like, yeah, I mean, of course they're doing that. That's their job is to, <laughs> is to maximize their profit. So you, you align back to the solution part of this, <clears throat> aligning yourself with other people, with, you know, creators with businesses, uh, who share that value, which is to say, um, the same value proposition. Our job is to make the community better. So let's figure out how to do that. And everybody along the way will get taken care of. When I say taken care of, I mean like your businesses will do well, you will do well, so on and so forth. That's, that's really the only way I see a solution to this. Yeah. And a lot of that has a, like the, we, the we factor is a huge thing in that as in it's us like let's make let's let's get better together like let's work on our problems right as soon as there starts being the segmentation of like oh your problems are more important than my problems then we start arguing about like oh well my problem's this and your problem's that like and that i guess that we for from my standpoint that comes from having a shared identity of actually people all wanting to be a part of something meaningful and that starts from leaders from the top kind of having setting an ideal and you know saying this is who we want to become and where we want to go right and it's like that is a tough that is a tough thing where it's like we don't necessarily i guess for me as a canadian i don't necessarily feel that like i don't necessarily feel like hey we as canadians are working to become have a certain position in the world or like, you know, be the pinnacle of showing how communities can work well or something like that. Like, but there needs to be a vision that people need to jump onto together because as soon as you start having this fragmentation mm. into a bunch of different sects, it starts just being arguments of my thing versus your thing. Right. And it's the truth is, is if you're united, then you can go somewhere. The question is at which, at which level, do you kind of aim for unity and where is it possible to have like a level of unity? Right. Um, And that's something that I've been thinking about where it's like, is there a certain number 
where it's really hard to actually bring people together mm. like as in a quantity right <laughs> like yeah. you look at it it's like if you're a mayor of a town of 5000 you know all those people can know you they probably have like at least a you know a one person like a a, a mutual connection of some sort to you they know oh um, that's bobby's uncle or mm. whatever right and and so it's like i think at that level you know you can bring unity but can you do that same thing at 10,000 at a hundred thousand people at a million people at a hundred million people at 300 million people. Can you bring, can you actually have that joint thing? And it takes, it takes incredible leaders mm. to do that. I think it, I think it's possible, but it becomes incrementally harder. The bigger and bigger the group is. Um, I know even Ray Dalio talks about mm. this where it's like, you know, with, a, with affluence in a culture, typically, you know, the culture is relatively successful. It grows economically. Things are pretty healthy. People have a shared identity. They're excited about building things. But then once the affluence settles in, people get pretty much complacent, more just focusing on, you know, how do I make my own life better right. rather than the society better or the future better? Just like, how do I have fun and how do I have pleasure? And with that also comes more of uh, segmentation of society. Like there's a larger wealth gaps between poor and rich and there's also larger gaps between the right and the left mm -hmm. and with that you know it's a really hard cycle to get out of because rather than saying we're together and we need to solve problems together it's this thing where it's like if you don't have an outside enemy like it's almost like you'll just start fighting yourself right because it's it it's kind of ties into what we were saying earlier we like struggle and mm -hmm. we like pushing up against something so if you don't have that level of struggle as a whole right uh, then you're going to find another it's going to happen at a lower level right, right? Yeah. and and that's a tough reality and it's like you see that where it's like again we should not try to make enemies outside of our countries in order to unite yeah, yeah. our countries but if you're looking at it from a psychological perspective a shared enemy is one of the biggest connectors of a of a community to bring unity where you're like we got to battle the dragon out there hmm. and we got to all get together and we're like yeah dragon's bad so we're good and we're all on the same team if you have something like that you can unite groups right and it's again that's been used for bad purposes at different points by throughout history yeah. that that psychology but the truth is that's how you bring unity too so yeah, it's it's really interesting where what does that look like for our society going forward? Again, maybe maybe that means as we have more struggles, we can actually unite and be excited to try to solve the problems rather than fighting with each other. Right. Who knows? That, that would be my hope. <laughs> Certainly, yeah. I mean, the the real uh uh so we we've had a, a relatively recent example of that with 9/11 everybody kind of came together for yeah. a unified purpose and all that. But, you know, they still were asleep at the wheel because what we got out of it was two 20-year wars that were fucking stupid. And yeah. uh, the Patriot Act, which increased the surveillance state. You know what I mean? So that I, th this is I, – I do think the struggle war will eventually come, and I do think it will provide an opportunity to reshape society in the way that we want to reshape it. But you got to be very aware of that. You know what I mean? Of, of the people who are going to come in and try to take advantage of that stuff. And um, I, I don't know that you can build systems to keep them out at this point, but certainly, well, yeah. certainly sunlight is the best disinfectant. So just, you know, shining a light on these people uh, can yeah. be super useful. 
Well, and that's the disturbing thing, right? Is there's been language around stuff, even in regards to COVID. Oh, well, this is a great sort of, you know, interruption in society. Let's use this conflict to, I don't know, to benefit or to make, to remake society. Like if you, you know, start looking at some of the WEF and yeah. all that kind of stuff, it's, it's a bit disturbing because they under, like, it's like everybody, I guess, if you're thinking about these things, you understand that psychology when there's a crisis is when things can change. And mm. when you can shift opinions, you can shift ideas, you can make things different when things are just humdrum, pretty normal. That's when things just they're more likely to just can keep on continuing that mm. way and people aren't going to be willing to change their behavior. So that's the tough thing where it's like, can we use our conflicts to actually truly make our society better, better rather than just having special interest groups kind of bring it in a selfish direction of what they believe is the the best direction sure. for society, right? Yeah. And again, that's the tough thing where it's like, okay, well, why my opinion over someone else's opinion? And then you're back to the divisiveness issue. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah. Well, I mean, like, you know, open eyes and open ears. That's that's the way, like the average citizen has to, to, to make an effort towards that. So anytime there is one of these conflicts or periods of stress or whatever it is, um, the bad actors don't take a day off. You know what I mean? Like they're out there in the, yeah. in the trenches trying to get their shit done. Um, and you've got to do the same, right? You have to be engaged in your community when, when, um, in all of these ways that we've talked about today, you have to act as if you have a, a stake in the country because you do, uh, and not just in, in the United States or Canada, but in Western society in general, right? Like mm -hmm. the, the, like you, uh, what you, alluded to before what you allow becomes uh you know how you allow people to treat i think oprah used to say this too like you train people how to treat you by what you allow them to do um mm. and it's like you don't have to be it's this idea that you don't have to be faster than the bear you just have to be faster than the other guy right and <laughs> you yeah. you apply that to to politics and and the culture war stuff where it's like you just got to take stands. It's not okay just to, to be compliant because it's convenient because this is the result of it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And the other side is always working against you. So you've got to work as well. It's just, that's just how it is. Oh, it's an interesting thing that you said there with like having a stake in our society, right? Like, I guess that word for me triggers being like almost like having a share or mm -hmm. an ownership share as in like a company, right? Like, for example, even with our company, it's like if you're a meaningful team member who's contributing a lot, you're going to be on a stock options plan. Mm. And that's important to me as a CEO because you act differently when you own something, right? You're If if you're like, it's we, right? Like if, if you're like, yeah, I, this is me. And it's like, I watch for that too with employees. Do they talk about like your success or the mm. team's success or did they say our and we and you know also that's my job as a leader to be creating that we and making sure that people are engaging in it that way but in the same way as our country like i think we don't really think ourselves as being i guess that's what your your whole point is right with yeah. being a citizen it's like citizen is you have a stake in this you have a share you could get dividends when this thing goes well and it's something that's valuable but also if it goes to shit it's gonna be worth nothing so right. are you gonna act and actually try to you know be a good employee like for to extend the metaphor mm. like to, to actually better the the entity or are you just gonna act in a way where it's you know just for your own gain um 
and I guess we don't we don't fire citizens in our in our country, which is <laughs> which is I guess one of the benefits of being a citizen, which is awesome. But it's like that's that's that thing where we can we can just coast if we want to yeah. in that, right? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And it's that that equity and buy-in or whatever you want to call it that prevents the the nihilistic attitude that leads to a lot of the bullshit that happens in this country or in any any country. It's not it's always the same kind of attitude. Um, but there's a roadmap there. There's definitely a roadmap and it, and it starts with your attitude and your effort, which are the only two things you can control. That's what I tell people on the show, uh, pretty much every show, you can control your attitude and your effort and nothing further. So, uh, that's your yeah. investment and you're going to get back out of it exactly what you put into it. Um, appreciate you coming today. This has been great. Love fume. Uh, love having you guys as a sponsor, just from knowing uh, what I know about you guys and, and your, your, you know, just not another shitbag company, I guess. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience before we get out of here today? No, I think I'm good. It's been great chatting. Really glad to meet you. And it's been a great conversation. Yeah, you as well. Uh, thanks for coming today. And thank you all for listening. This has been Citizen. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.